And this morning, I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the very first chapter of the one minor prophet that everybody knows about, Jonah. We are going to uh, look at the prophet Jonah, and uh, to do that, to set it up this morning, uh, listen as I read from Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the other sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he, he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that all this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. The classic tale. A tale of a reluctant hero. An impossible task. A perfect storm. Unbeatable odds. It's one of the most popular stories in the Bible. It's been the source of controversy. It's left children wide-eyed. The story of Jonah. The story of Jonah is more than a story 
about a fish. And you'll note I don't say whale. We'll talk about that next week. It's more than a story about a fish. The fish is only mentioned four times in the book. The story of Jonah is more than just a story about what happens in Nineveh. Nineveh is only mentioned nine times in the book. The story of Jonah is a story about God. God is mentioned directly 39 times in four chapters and indirectly 18 times. We learn about God in the story of Jonah. We learn about the persistence of God. We learn about the sovereignty of God. We learn about the mercy of God. We learn about the compassion of God. We learn about the forgiveness of God. And we learn that God is a God of second chances. The, the book of Jonah is the most unique of all of the 12 minor prophets. It's most unique because of all the other books they deal with a nation, either like we saw last week, the nation of Edom. We'll see in a few weeks the book of Nahum deals with the nation of Nineveh or the, the city of Nineveh whose repentance didn't last. Uh, the other books deal with either Israel or Judah, God's people. But this book and this book alone deals with one person. It's a biographical book. It deals with Jonah and Jonah's interactions with God. Jonah lived like so many of the minor prophets. Jonah lived during the, the heyday of the kingdom of Israel. We've said before, time and again, Jeroboam II was the king. Things were cooking in Israel. The economy was good. The military was strong. And interestingly enough, Assyria, the, the worst enemy of the northern kingdom, they had fallen on hard times. This will come into play as we get later on in the book. Jonah is a real guy. He's actually mentioned earlier in the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25, Jonah, the son of Amittai, actually prophesies that things will go well under Jeroboam II for the northern kingdom. So here's this guy, a prophet of the Lord. And interestingly enough, and in most of your English versions, this word won't appear. If you have the English Standard Version, it'll begin the whole story of Jonah with the word now. The other word you could translate it is and, and it's and the word of the Lord came. That's, that's the way I would translate it if I were just doing it just very word for word. And the Lord, word of the Lord came. Why is that little thing so important? Why did they leave it out? It doesn't make sense grammatically. You're not supposed to start a sentence with and. But I looked at that and I, rem I was reminded God's story is a continuing story. God's story doesn't start and stop. It's a continuing story. So in the midst of the life of Jonah, in the midst of what he was doing, one day the word of the Lord comes to him. And he's given a very simple instruction. And again, I would translate it this way. Get up or arise and go to that great city of Nineveh. It's very clear, very simple. Jonah, get up and go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah, you have a job to do. You're a prophet. A prophet speaks truth 
into the circumstances. A prophet speaks truth into the situation, into the culture. And Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to speak truth to Nineveh and tell them, I am going to judge them. They have an opportunity to repent. God calls them a wicked city. We know that Nineveh was a major city of the Assyrians. Later on in history, it would become the capital city, but at this point, it's a major city of the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a warmongering people. They were known for their brutal and inhumane torture of prisoners. Jonah did what any right-minded, sane, red-blooded prophet would do. He decided it is time to retire from the prophecy game, and he left town. Jonah hightails it. He doesn't want a thing to do with the Ninevites. He doesn't want a thing to do with any change that might. He doesn't want them to hear God's word, and he runs. And that brings me to my first reminder in the book of Jonah when I think about Jonah and God, and it's simply this. God's commands are not optional. Jonah wasn't given a series of choices. Go. Get up, go to Nineveh. But he ran away from the Lord. Another way to say that is he was trying to run from the presence of the Lord. Every one of us, if you're honest with yourself, if you're honest with God, every one of us know that we are at one time or another guilty from running from what God wants us to do. Another way of saying it is simply, we know that God wants us to do A, but we'd rather do B, and so we do B. We disobey. And that's going to look different for every person. And why do we do that? Sometimes we run away from God because we think God's asking too much. What we do in that moment is we reduce God's heart to our human thinking process. God, you're asking too much. Maybe, maybe that was Jonah's reason. Like I said, the, Ninevites were, the Ninevites were not friendly to strangers. The, the Ninevites were, were not friendly to enemies. They were horrible. There was no such thing as a Geneva Convention or rules of warfare. They were the worst. I can't even begin to describe some of the things that they did because it's just too brutal. You'll have to look it up. Maybe Joan, that was one of Jonah's reasons. God, God, do you really think this is going to do any good? God, do you really think they're going to change? God, do you really think my going to Nineveh and, and yelping about you're going to, that they're too wicked, do you, think they, do you think they really care about what you think? God, maybe you're not thinking this through enough. I'm not going to go. I'm going to go. I'll let you rethink this. I'm going to run away. Sometimes we run away from God because we don't really care about the people God wants us to help as much as God does. I wonder if Jonah really cared about the Ninevites. I mean, he was a Hebrew. He, already, he tells us that. We'll see it later on. He worshiped the living God. They're just pagans. They're brutal, warmongering, nasty pagans. They deserve God's wrath. 
I really want them to have God's wrath. I want them to feel the wrath of God. I really don't care about the Ninevites. Maybe that was his thinking. They're just pagans. They're brutal. There is a bet toward racism in Jonah. It's possible Jonah didn't really want any repentance. I mean, that would mean that they would worship the same God I worship. That would mean that they would follow Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God like I follow Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God. That would mean I might have to forgive them. That would mean I might have to treat them as brothers and sisters. So Jonah runs. He will not do what God wants him to do. When God gives you and me a command, there are no options. Jonah wasn't given a choice. He was given a command. When God tells us through Scripture, beginning in Leviticus 19, and then carried on in Jesus' words, to love your neighbor as yourself, that's not an option. That's not a pick or choose. Well, I'll love this neighbor because they're really cool. I want to hang with them. But this neighbor over here, they kind of bug me a little. No, love your neighbor as yourself. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. God doesn't get bogged down in suggestions. He's the God who gives direction and he expects obedience. Jonah doesn't want to do it. It doesn't even tell us that he thought about it. He, he didn't like sit around and go, should I stay or should I go? Like the old song says, he ran. He got down, he went to a ship and he got on a ship and paid the fare for a ship that was going to Tarshish. Now some scholars believe that Tarshish was in modern day Spain. So if you put Jonah in Israel, Tarshish is all the way across the Mediterranean to Spain. It's as far away from Nineveh as he can possibly go. This book and this chapter really is about God, and God wants unquestioned obedience. And it's really interesting to notice in this book, in this chapter, the wind obeys God. The sea obeys God. They cast lots. It's uh, kind of like we would maybe in our context, the, it's like play, playing Yahtzee. You know, you have the Yahtzee thing and you throw out the dice and, and they, they cast lots. And the dice obeyed God. The fish that we'll talk about next week obeyed God. The sailors called out to God, and when they knew what the, they thought God required, they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea. Why? Because they wanted to obey, obey God. There's only one character in the book of Jonah that doesn't obey God, and it's God's chosen instrument, his prophet Jonah. So he gets on the ship, pays the fare, they set sail, and immediately God sends a wind. And the wind and the storm are so violent that the ship threatens to break up. I've never even been on a cruise, okay? I'll tell you that. I, I, I've been on rowboats and things. I've never been on a cruise. But I'll tell you, 
I've heard tale of people being on boats and they're up and they're down and all. And this is one, this ship, it was probably a galley ship, knowing the time frame. May have had a sail, but then they also had oars that they rowed. It, was, it wasn't big. We were in Jamestown a whole bunch of years ago. And, and we saw some of the ships in Jamestown that came across. They were like 12 feet long, 15 feet long. They weren't big. And it's like, whoa, so here's this ship. It's not huge, and, and it's, it's a violent storm. It says the sailors were afraid. These are not, you know, Gilligan's Island three-hour tour guys. These are sailors. They're seasoned. They were afraid. A whole bunch of years ago, Charlene and I are on a plane we were actually flying to Myrtle Beach to, to speak at a conference that one of our missionaries was having. And, uh, and I'm sitting there on this little plane, and right next to me is a captain, an airline captain. He's being shuttled to Myrtle Beach to pick up a plane and fly it back. And he's just really nice and calm, and we're flying along. Everything's going good, and all of a sudden you, you get that, uh, this is your uh, captain speaking. Uh, we have uh, been asked to uh, turn back to Atlanta. Uh, we'll get back there soon. Everything's going to be fine. We just have a little situation we need to take care of. I'm starting to freak out. Then I look at the captain. He's reading a magazine. He's chill. If he's not freaking out, I'm not going to freak out. Turned out, as we landed in Atlanta, there are fire trucks driving right alongside our plane. And, and it, it, we found out later there was a gas leak on the plane. And I'm thinking, you're not freaking out. You know, but here we are to tell about it. The sailors are freaking out. This is a storm to beat all storms. They are so afraid. They're crying out to their gods. And Jonah is in the hull of the, the, the ship in a deep sleep. And I look at these sailors, I look at them, what are they doing? They're, they're, they're putting their livelihood on the line. They are taking cargo that is supposed to pay for the trip, and they are throwing it overboard. You see, my actions impact other people. You and I don't live in a vacuum. We live in connection with other people, and my actions do impact other people. Jonah could not say, this is my life, and these are my choices. And so as long as they don't have any bearing on you, leave me alone. His life and his choices had a direct and negative impact on those sailors and on their livelihood. His disobedience threatened their lives. It had a direct impact. One thing I have learned, and it's a hard thing to admit, disobedience is self-centered. In any endeavor, your boss says, these are the things that we need to do, and you say, yeah, I don't want to do that. You've put yourself ahead of the company. The coach says, this is, what the, this is the play we're going to run, and when we run that play, you're going to be over here, and, and you go, ah, I'd, like to, I'd rather be over here. You're going to mess up the whole play. You've thought of only you. 
Mom or dad says, you know what, we're going to go on vacation, but to make it work, we're all going to need to pull together, and I want you to clean up the garbage in the house, put it in the garbage can, get it out to the street, and you go, eh, I don't want to do that. You've impacted the whole family, and the vacation starts with not very good attitudes. It just goes on and on. When I become the most important person in my world, it leads me toward disobedience not only of God but of any authority in my life. These men are not God followers. Not here at this moment. They are on the deck fighting for their lives. They're on the deck fighting for Jonah's life. They're throwing stuff overboard. Jonah's in a deep sleep. He's he's not only trying to escape physically by getting on a ship, he thinks if he sleeps, it'll all go away. God can't get me in my sleep. I'll be safe. I think one of the reasons why Jonah isn't praying is because he knew God's word and he knew the psalmist had said in Psalm 66, 18, if I had regarded sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. And notice, remember I said earlier, I would actually translate it, get up and go. The captain comes down and he uses the same, the the way it's written, the same form. Get up and call on your God. You know, I mean, I can see that captain grabbing Jonah and yanking him up out of that, off of that bench, whatever he's laying on, and kind of shaking him a little bit and saying, get up and call on your God. So Jonah crawls up on deck, and the sailors go, somebody has to be done something. This storm, we didn't even see it on the horizon. We didn't even see it coming. We wouldn't have set sail if we saw this storm coming. Somebody's done something. Let's cast lots. Let's roll the dice. Who who did this? Uh, God's sovereignty is real, but it's subtle. And by sovereignty, I I don't mean God is some kind of cosmic puppet master making everything to do. You know, I put on dark socks today. You know, I don't think somehow there was God saying, Scott's going to pick the dark socks today. That's what I want him to have. I want him to wear the maroon shirt. It's going to give a better color palette. No, there's, there's stuff that just, we just do. We make decisions. But there are times when God steps in, but his sovereignty is subtle. It's real, but it's subtle. Because remember, this is a book about God. This is a story about God. And so I think it is no coincidence that when they cast the lots, it pointed to Jonah. Because Proverbs 16.33 says, We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. God is pulling out all the stops to say to Jonah, I am in control. You don't call the shots here. This is what I want you to do. And the problem with Jonah is the same thing that you and I sometimes deal with. When I get caught up in what I want to do, what I want to happen, how I want to control my life circumstances, I get blind to the work of God in my life. And notice this. The lot... They fell on Jonah and they asked all these questions. 
Who's responsible for this? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answers, and I kind of see a little pride there. I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He doesn't even hear his illogic. Can you imagine the sailors? You worship the God of the sea and you got on a boat? Are you out of your mind? You worship the God of the sea and he's down there just stirring this thing up because of you? Are you even thinking straight? You see, stubborn pride is foolish. And Jonah had already told them. <laughs> can you imagine that? Hey, do you, uh, can you get me to Tarshish? Sure, I can get you to Tarshish. What, what, what's taking you to Tarshish? Oh, I'm running from the Lord. That's what it says here. He was running away from the Lord because they'd already told him so. Oh, yeah, I'm running from God. Oh, really? Yeah. And he's the God who made the, the heaven and the sea. Uh, yeah, so I'm going, to run from, I'm going to run in the sea from the God who made the sea. Doesn't that make sense? Now, here's a couple things. They asked Jonah, the sea keeps getting rougher and rougher. God just keeps stirring it up. And they go, okay, what do we do? We, we can't survive this. What do we do? And Jonah says something that is totally, completely outside of anything in his theological background. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. There is nothing in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the commands of God that require a human sacrifice. Nothing. Jonah had no theological foundation for saying that. And in fact, if Jonah really believed that, why didn't he just jump into the sea himself? My Scott Howington opinion is Jonah didn't want to do anything that's, that even looked like submissiveness or obedience. If you pagan sinners want the sea calmed, toss me in yourself. But there's something else. There's something else that just gripped me this week. I've taught about Jonah all over the place, but I was looking at this week, and here's what hit me this week. Jonah would have rather died than to see the Ninevites receive God's message. I have been gripped by that. Jonah would rather die than to see someone else receive God's love. Jonah would die before he would let God be compassionate to someone else. Jonah will die before God's mercy will be shown to someone else. And it hit me, whoa, Scott, who in your world is unworthy of the gospel? Ooh. Who in your world is less important than you are? Who, Scott, in your world have you determined doesn't deserve God's love as much as you do? Because that's where Jonah is. I will die before they hear about God. You know the other thing Jonah could have done? He could have just simply gotten down on his knees and said, Oh God, Lord of heaven and earth, Yahweh, I have sinned against you. 
and I confess my sin. As David said in, in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. God, I've sinned. And in my sin, I've put these men's life at risk. In my sin, I've put their livelihood at risk. Oh, God, forgive me for my sin. I will obey. I honestly believe we wouldn't have the book of Jonah had he done that because, boom, the sea would have dried up. Probably they would have been back at the, at, at the seaport and he could have gone and done what he needed to do. But notice something. The sailors care more about Jonah than Jonah cared about Jonah. He tells them, pick me up, throw me into the sea, it's going to be calm. And what do they do? They do their best. They get down there and they get on the oars and they start pulling against the oars and they start rowing. They're going to get to, we're, we're not going to do this. We're going to get you to dry land. And, and God just says, no, guys, I got a plan here. It's bigger than you. You're not going to get there. It's not going to happen. And there's only one prayer in Jonah chapter 1. And it's the prayer of a bunch of seasoned, hard-living, pagan sailors. And they cry out to the Lord. Literally, the word is Yahweh. Jonah said, I'm running away from Yahweh. I serve Yahweh. So they use that word. They may have never heard that word before, but they use it now. They cry out and they say, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. It's an innocent prayer of fear, and yet they're simply doing what they believe God wants them to do because they believe Jonah, who says, this is a God I serve. Don't let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they take Jonah and they toss him into the sea. And then they're even more afraid. Because the sea calms down. And you know what they did? They greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord. They made vows to him. I believe they became followers of Yahweh. I believe they decided, I can't deny what I just experienced. This is the God I'm going to follow from now on. God's not done with Jonah. should really be verse 1 of chapter 2, but it's verse 17 of chapter 1. says he provides a huge fist. We'll talk about that. But I got to thinking, if this is a book about God, then what do I learn about God in Jonah chapter 1? The first thing I learn about God in chapter Jonah chapter 1 is because of his mercy... God has compassion on all people. The Ninevites had never cried out to God. The Ninevites had never called out to God. The Ninevites had never even thought about God, the God of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But God thought about the Ninevites because God is a God of mercy. He had compassion on the Ninevites who didn't even know they needed God's compassion. We serve a God of mercy, and our God has compassion on all people. And if my God has compassion on all people, what does that say about me? 
Here's the second thing I learned about God. Because of his grace, God will let us run. You know, God did not create us as robots. He created us with freedom to choose. And sometimes in his grace, God lets us run our own way. Sometimes in his grace, God lets us choose our own direction. Oh, he's never very far from us. Sometimes he lets us run. And yet a third thing I learned about God is because of his love, God never stops pursuing us. I, I, it's a very long, old poem, and I, I, I'll paraphrase it. It's called The Hound of Heaven. And, and the author talks about how I was running, running, running down the labyrinthine paths of life, and he keeps talking about running, and then he heard behind him the steady pace of the hound of heaven pursuing him. And he would turn and run this way and that way, and, and then he would look back, and there was the steady pace of the hound of heaven always pursuing him until he turned and gave in. God, in his love, never stops pursuing us. If you're praying for someone to come to Christ and you've been praying for them for years, don't stop praying. God never stops pursuing. The song we sang, your love never runs out. God doesn't stop pursuing. That's his great love. And yet there's a fourth thing I learned about God. Sometimes, sometimes God allows us to come to the end of ourselves. Jonah gets thrown into the sea. He gets his wish. His hope in that moment is that he will die and then he's done. If I die, I don't have to go to Nineveh. If I die, I'm, in his mind, out of the Lord's presence. <laughs> Foolish Jonah. If I die, this whole thing ends. If I die, this nightmare goes away. But the Lord had a different plan. Jonah, I'm going to let you come to the end of yourself. Jonah, I'm going to let you be in a place that you really don't want to be in. And when you come to the end of yourself, when you've used up all your options, when you've, when you've cashed in all of your spiritual investments, when you're all out of choices, there'll always be one left. You can still choose God. A lot to think about from a reluctant prophet. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your word doesn't, as I would say, pull any punches. It doesn't sugarcoat. We got Jonah. He messed up. He messed up big time. He ran from you. He thought he could escape you. And you were there all along. Lord, would that be a reminder for us? As in a few minutes, we're going to partake of communion. Would you use that time to remind us that your love never runs out, that your love never stops pursuing us, that in your grace you are there for us and you let us run, but in your mercy you have compassion on us? Would you help us remember that? 
And as we remember that, help us to take a look inward and say, Lord, where do I need to change so I can be obedient to you? And we will give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.